Hello, welcome back to Coffee with a Calvinist. This is a daily conversation about scripture, culture, and media from a Reformed perspective. Get your Bible and coffee ready and prepare to engage today's topic. Here's your host, Pastor Keith Foskey. Welcome back to Coffee with a Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey, and I am a Calvinist. Today is part two of our questions from a non-Calvinist interview. If you did not hear yesterday's program, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it before you begin today's program. And now, on with the show. But getting back to the the, the, the question of, of I, I do see a difference between God actively hardening a heart and mm-hmm. a person who is behaving according to their nature. And a mm-hmm. person who's, uh, you know, Mo, uh, 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 Moses and Pharaoh the distinction was God hardened Pharaoh, and he will mm-hmm. harden whom he chooses. And he is he is God, so he has the right to do that. He can do with the clay what he chooses, and we might think mm-hmm. that's unfair, but we can't say it's inaccurate. Um, and, so, yeah, and, and I think, and and hear me, hear me uh, graciously when I say this, because I have an extremely high view, like I said, of, of God's sovereignty. <clears throat> Excuse me, God's sovereignty. Um, to me saying, well, he's God and he can do what he wants is the lowest form of apologetics. And again, to any listener who thinks that I'm, I'm being irreverent or whatever, I don't want that to be the thing. Um, but you can answer any question in the Bible related to the Bible with, well, because he's God, he does what he wants. Uh, I, I, why, did I, Jesus, you know, why did Jesus have to die? Well, we would perhaps talk about substitutionary atonement. We would talk about sin. We would talk all those things. But you could just say, well, because he's God, and he wanted to do it that way. To me, that is a very, perhaps that's academically and overall correct, but it is it is soul unsatisfying, and it's very much like the story I said at the beginning of the of the show, which is, why did this loss have to happen to me? Well, because he's God and he can do what he wants. Yeah, well, I, 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 yeah. I'm I'm sympathetic to what you're saying, and I hope that mm-hmm. I hope that I didn't come across that crassly. No, 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 no. I'm, I, 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 but I what, what I'm I, saying is, when someone says that to me, I always dig in and say, nope, that's not an. That is true. And if that's all God has given us, then it is my job as his creature, as his clay, to accept that. Yeah. If that's all there is, I'm I just I'm gonna keep digging because I don't think that's all that's there. That's that's my point. Well, I, I'll give you a great example. And um I have I have a friend, he's actually a um uh recently passed away actually. And, mm. uh, he and I were, were, were good friends and I was very sad of his passing, thankful that he was a believer. Yeah. Um, but he, he challenged me a few years ago and I, and I disagreed almost the same way you just did because okay. I, I did a message entitled, uh, if God is sovereign, why do we evangelize? And you know, the heart of that question, well, if yes. God's already chosen who's he's going to save, what does it matter if I go out and hand out tracks or preach on, preach on the corner? And, and, but I put that title up on Facebook, you know, tonight I'm going to ask this question. If God is sovereign, Mm -hmm. why do we evangelize? Mm -hmm. And he wrote back and, or he wrote on my Facebook page. And again, this was probably 10 years ago when Facebook first came out, you know, he wrote, um, he wrote, uh, God told us to, and that's the only reason we need. Mm, Again, correct. And and it is. And and in that sense, he's not wrong, but it is, it, it is, for those who want to go a little deeper and mm-hmm. want to try to learn more about the heart of God, it's, it does seem unsatisfying to simply and, say, he said, go, so go. And to me, it actually diminishes our view of God. So for example, 
why did Jesus enter Jerusalem on the day of Passover? Mm-hmm. Well, you and I have a whole rich biblical theology. We can stretch out and say, you know, this festival was this, and it was God bringing these threads together and all that. If I said, hey, Keith, why did Jesus enter, enter Jerusalem on Passover? And you just said, because he's God and he can do what he wants. That is so <laughs> weak. I mean, that just doesn't. Yeah. And again, to the listener, don't hear me saying that God's sovereignty is weak or I don't like that doctrine. But what I'm saying is that is sort of, that is the, the, that is the bottom level safety net that will always catch you as you're yeah. working through the Bible. Um, yeah. Anything you can end there, but uh, let's try and climb higher if we can. Well, I, I have made the point and, and not to disagree wholly, but I do want to say mm-hmm. this. It, when you go through Job, Oh man. <laughs> uh, you know, at the end of Job, Job yeah. has all these questions and God's answer is pretty much I made the world, I do what I want. <laughs> Basically, yeah, so, it is. So there, it is. there is a sense in which there is that is the final thing, but there are questions we can ask before we get, like you said, to the to the safety net. <laughs> there yeah. are there yeah. are questions, and that's what we're doing today. Is, yeah. But but in the final analysis with Job, it was, you know, were you there when I formed the earth? Were you there yeah. when I, you know, can you put a hook in the nose of Leviathan? No. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, just I love Hebrew sarcasm too. I mean, for yeah, people oh, yeah. that for people that have a natural dislike of sarcasm, just read Job a couple of times. It's amazing. God yeah. just oh, is the best. Anyway, have have a good heart and remember He's God. He can do that. So be careful. But anyway. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, yeah. He, he's God. We're not. So we got to be careful with how we. Yeah. How we use it. Yeah. So then, uh, moving on to the last one, um, it, and it, we've already sort of talked around it quite a bit, and you drew the difference between having a dead. Uh, and if, I'll call it an Ephesians two heart, just because I think that's where the the richest language comes from. Yep. Um, a dead heart versus judicial hardening. So, uh, and again, I'll say your position back to you, and you can tell me if it's right or wrong. Um, last question is: Has God actively prevented all those who ultimately reject Him from turning to Him? Um, and so, the it in the state that we were all created, if God had chosen not to send Christ, if God had chosen not to redeem any of us, he would have been perfectly just to do so. And, and I, I wholly affirm that if he had saved zero people, um, he, he's God and he could have done that. Now, again, that's sort of the unsatisfying, you know, seems to reject the character of the psalmist who says that he removes iniquity and all those kinds of things, but setting that aside, he could have done that. Your position would be that, um, that God has shown some measure of grace to all men. Um, yes. He has only shown sufficient grace to, uh, to particular men, uh, suffi- grace sufficient to change a heart, regenerate it, turn one's heart towards God, um, indwell by the Spirit, all of these things in the Ordo Salutis that we know and love, uh, that God has only chosen particular men for that, whereas the others he has shown some grace, but not all of the grace. Is that, would that be accurate? Yes, in the simplest form. In fact, my answer to the question would be, uh, ask the question because I want to I sure. give a, a quippy sure. answer. <laughs> oh, good. Those are the best. Uh, put it on a t-shirt. Uh, has God actively prevented, and there's a key choice in the word actively, has God actively prevented all those who ultimately reject him from turning to him? No. Okay. Okay. But <laughs> that's my quick yeah. answer. There you go. I like it. Yeah. And the key word there is actively, right? Um, yep. I, I, we've already talked about our relationship to Adam. We've talked about our natural inability, unwillingness to come. And therefore, uh, it, it is not as if God is actively passing over people who are saying, hey, take me, take me, take me. Right. 
Um, it is God is looking at a kingdom of rebels who have who have spurned his law, who have who have damaged his reputation, who have who have attacked his kingdom, who have raped his bride. Mm-hmm. And he is saying, and yet I'm still going to be gracious to some of you. What, and, and, what, a, what a, a concept that our hearts cannot even comprehend. Exactly. And when we think about the difference between, you know, God, and you already kind of alluded to this, but for the listener who doesn't know this, God could have chosen to save all. And mm-hmm. he would have been, he would have been right in his own self. Had he made that choice, I'm going to save all. And we have a universal salvation. He yep. could have chosen to save none and he would have been perfectly just, mm-hmm. but in choosing to save some, this is the only place where he gets to exercise free grace, mm-hmm. where he is free to give his grace to and to whom he chooses. Mm-hmm. And, and so, um, I think we all, this is, this is the part that's funny when I say God sent his son to save some, because some people say God sent his son to save all. And I say right. the, the, the sum is what bothers people. But when you read John three sixteen, you can't mm-hmm. come away with any other answer than this. God so loved the world that he decided to save some. Okay. Because he says, whosoever believes. Now, however mm-hmm. they get to that point of belief, he's still not choosing to save all. Mm-hmm. For God so loved the world, he decided to save some. Whether they got there by their own initiative or whether they got there by his act of work on their heart to cause them to come, it's still not whether or not God chose to save all or some. Mm-hmm. It's still some. Yep. And so that is the the real... Because when you get to talking to people about Arminianism, it's the whole, well, God wants to save everybody. There's mm-hmm. nowhere in the Bible that indicates that God wants to save everybody. It does tell us he doesn't take, he doesn't get his jollies in the death of the wicked. Yeah, I know that's a, that's a Keith Standard version. You know, God is not actively enjoying the death of the wicked in the same way that he enjoys showing grace, but he does get glory and justice and, um, you've probably heard me give the analogy of the king returning from returning from his trip and the kingdom has been destroyed. You heard me? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And the analogy there I think holds up because he, he has the choice to destroy everything, but instead mm-hmm. he chooses to be gracious to some and yet the others will be destroyed justly. No one yeah. gets injustice. You either receive mercy or justice. No one receives injustice. Right. Um, I think, so, I think the central conflict there is that if scripture is our is our god and scripture has revealed to us who who well let me let me phrase this very carefully scripture has revealed to us things about has revealed to us particular things about god's nature in the specificity that god desired i think there's plenty of things about god's nature that we either can't comprehend or simply not revealed to us but he gave us what we needed yes Um, Scripture, based upon the limited little pinhole of God I can see through Scripture, um, it seems to me that when you have the, uh, and we're wrapping right back to the first question, um, when you have this God who throughout the prophets and throughout the Psalms is is saying, if you do these things, then I will judge you, and if you don't do these things, then I will not judge you. If you 
you know, the, the famous Chronicles verse that everyone loves on their, on their bumper sticker, you know, if they'll humble themselves and pray and mm -hmm. seek my face, then I'll mm -hmm. heal their land. Um, it's, it would seem to me inconsistent with God's nature for him to say, if you repent and turn, then I will heal your land, while also knowing that he has created those people in such a manner that there is no way for them to do that. And that gets back to the hyper-Calvinism, the Arminianism, and the Calvinism, able but not responsible, that kind of thing. I think that's where my brain breaks down and where, humbly, I would suggest um, that I think, I think there's scriptural warrant to say that um, if God's going to demand something, then there is capability. And I think that might be the central linchpin issue between the two of us on this. I think, I think that's the central <clears throat> linchpin issue for the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, is is if God has made man responsible, is man able? Mm -hmm. And I, I want to challenge us for a thought. Okay. I, I know because of our previous conversations, I know that you are not a Pelagian. I am not. So you would at least have to grant that if man is somehow able, mm -hmm. it is an it is a it is a grace that is given, a mm -hmm. universal grace. It would still have to be grace that would make him able. Or do you not agree with that? Um, no, I think that I think that the anthropology of I'll call it traditional Arminianism, like Jacob Arminius Arminianism, which I'm I'm not for the listener. I don't. By the way, side note, I I don't be like, oh, I don't have any labels. I'm just a Bible guy. I think that's a really annoying position to take. <laughs> I'm not trying to take that position. I, um, I just want to say, don't don't hold me to five point Arminianism either. But even the Arminian anthropology recognized that they had the subject of provenient grace, you know, they called it. Yeah. Well, that's um, what, I, that's what I was going to ask you is I was going to yeah. ask, are you affirming then, uh, and I'm not trying to put you in a box, Sure. No, but, that's fine. But, but are you affirming instead of what we would say is uh, uh, electing grace or specific sure. particular grace, mm -hmm. you would say that God has given all men enough grace to overcome their inability. Cause you don't deny inability. It's Pelagius denied inability. Right. right. No Pelagius, said, Pelagius said, if you just grunt and focus and shake your fists enough, then you can just not sin for an entire lifetime, which is an astounding thing to say in light of scripture. But, but do you remember what it was that caused Pelagius to even become who he was? It was a response to Augustine's prayer. Mm -hmm. Augustine's prayer was God uh, command what thou will and give us the grace to do what mm -hmm. thou commands. Mm -hmm. So, 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 so I think Augustine, again, was, was meeting this issue, the same issue that we've, we've arrived at today, was meeting this issue with, with the same tension, but mm -hmm. balance that the scripture requires. God command what you will, but give us the grace to do it. Mm -hmm. Because apart from that grace, we can't. Correct. And Pelagius said, and, and I'm not, characterizing you or caricaturing mm -hmm. you, but he basically said similar to what you've, you're arguing is, well, if, if he's commanded it, then I must have the ability to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's the argument that Pelagius was making. Well, if God's commanded it, I don't have to pray for grace. I already have the ability. Mm -hmm. and yeah. That, that, I don't think that's my position. Um, no, I know. I know. I'm, and that's what I, say. I don't yeah, want to caric yeah. caricature, but that's sure, what, sure. It, that's what it, that's what is the real issue. If God mm -hmm. has commanded it, we must be able to. And I think the, the answer is not necessarily because implicit within the command of God is the reliance upon him. Yes. Yeah. I, implicit within it is to do this, you're going to have to trust me. I, I affirm that 
I think scripture is utterly clear that humans are not morally neutral. Um, this idea that you can choose to go evil, you can choose to go good, and it's all up to you, I think yeah. is is counter-biblical. It's new age nonsense. Well, <laughs> new age nonsense has been around for a very long time. But regardless, um, and I don't want to proof text, and I don't want to pick apart the no. specific, you know, whatever. But on a first blush, and again, I am I'm 26, and I'm still, I've been a student of scripture for a while, but I would not, at all say that I you know, have some sort of exhaustive knowledge. But on first blush, I read a verse like Titus 2, 11 through 13, mm-hmm. um, which has this, by the way, Titus 2, 13, know that if you deal with your Jehovah's Witnesses, um, one, of the, one of those grammatically uh, tight verses that it identifies Jesus Christ as God himself. So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, but you have Titus 2, 11, bringing salvation. He says he comes bringing salvation to all people. There's a, an error, I think, you could you could read a universalist perspective in that, which I'm not. I'm not affirming that. Um, you could, I think, the Reformed understanding of that would be all people referring to all types of people, as in not specific to the Jews, not specific to this ethnic group, but to all all, situ, all uh, people in any kind of situation, I guess. Um, whereas I, I would kind of look at that and say that the free offer is there for all people. And I don't think you would disagree, but your difference would be, yes, it is offered to all people, but on, uh, but the hearts of men being what they are means they will never accept it without an additional step of God performing regeneration and, and supernatural grace upon their heart. Would that be accurate? Uh, yeah, I, I, I need to go back and look at the passage in Titus sure. too, because uh, I will. I will grant though that all um, in my in my times of studying pos, uh, very rarely means all men without exception. Yeah, uh, every human being that has ever existed ever. Yeah, I don't it, I exactly because when I when, you know and you've you've heard Doctor White, I'm sure use this analogy, but when when somebody says, "Well, Jesus died for all," did he die for the Amorite high priest mm-hmm. who would never be saved? who was, who lived, you know, a thousand years before him, is that, is that one that he died for? And mm-hmm. they would say, well, yes, he died for him. Uh, for, to what end? Right. You know, um, uh, you know, what, what's the purpose, right? And I think, and I've said this, and I know I'm going off on a tangent. You got to, this I is going to, I think this is going to end up being a two-parter. I think I'm going to okay. cut it in half because it's such a, it. we're having a great conversation. We're getting into particular redemption, limited atonement. Or, yeah, yeah. I, I think I could affirm limited atonement even if I was an Arminian. Um, Interesting. Okay. Be, because uh, limited atonement simply says that Christ um, died for those who will believe uh, mm-hmm. if you, if, in, in its simplest uh, uh, state. Why, why would we argue for the application of the, uh, the blood of Christ to those who will never receive the benefit of it? Why, mm-hmm. why, why is that the big deal? Why is that the thing that everybody dies? Why is that the hill that everybody dies on? This doesn't seem to me like it's the big deal. Um, the, the big deal is to me whether or not God, like what you said, God gives the ability of all men to, to take of that, that, that ability or take of that, that, uh, uh, that atonement, but not, uh-huh. not, not the fact of what the atonement does. Uh-huh. And, and so that just gets back to the word all, um, all, you know, and you've, 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 you've heard these arguments, I'm sure. But, you know, when the Bible says all, to hear it, yeah, well, you know, the Bible says all Judea went out and were baptized by John. Well, 
Yeah. You know, uh, you know, every breathing human being. Exactly. You know, so, and we know that, you know, we know that's not, that means all without distinction, not all without exception. Yeah. Pray for, pray for all men, you know? Yeah. And I, I definitely think that's the first Timothy two understanding. And he says, pray for all men, those of Kings and high positions. He's talking about types of men there. And, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil. Well, it's right. all, all kinds. And even modern translations have added all kinds of evil because they understand that pos there is referring to, to various kinds of men. But I don't have a problem with saying that in one sense, Christ does bring salvation to light for all men and, and that he's the only way that any man will ever be saved. There is no other name by which men can be saved. Amen. And he is the only hope for all the world. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we take this hope of Christ to all men. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've, you, you, I'm sure you've heard me say this maybe before, but one of the confidences I have as a Calvinist is that when I take this gospel to all men, that there mm-hmm. will be those who respond positively because God has his elect in every tribe, yeah. tongue, and nation. And um, that, I think that, the, danger, the, the danger of the extreme of your position is the, the, the uh, missionary coldness that you were talking about earlier, you know, uh, is this idea that, well, God's going to save them. So what's the point of missions? That's the danger of the extreme of your position. I think the danger of the extreme of, of, I don't know, I'll call it my position is an acute anxiety that if I spend five seconds on the couch, mm-hmm. um, then that's someone who went to hell because I didn't get up off the couch right away. And right. so I, I recognize that there's danger on both ends of that. Um, yeah. And, and, and I will say this, I, I don't think that the, and I don't want to call it your position because I'm, I'm slowly dragging you to our side. So, <laughs> <laughs> so let, let I'm, I'm, I, I'm slowly pulling you uh, over. So uh, like we'll I say, said, uh, <laughs> all of my friends, all of my friends basically <laughs> in, that I talk deep theology with, with the exception of one, and he knows who he is because we spoke about this last night. Uh, <laughs> Uh, all of them are, are Calvinist or at least heavily tilt that way. Yeah. Um, and so they, they, they do the, 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 you're not there yet kind of thing. And I'm just, you know, that's fine with me and we'll just see where scripture takes us. Right. Well, yeah, absolutely. And what I was going to say, the, the, the position of the, whether you call it traditionalist, Arminian or whatever, sure. the problem, sure. the, the problem with evangelism on that side is if we say, well, Calvinism has heard evangelism because it makes us cold as missionaries. And I agree that that can happen. Um, the, the problem on the other side is not just that you get anxious, but mm-hmm. it, it hasn't really, it hasn't created, uh, this windfall of missionaries. You don't see on the Armenian side, everybody over there standing on the street corner preaching. In fact, the people you see on the people standing on the street corner preaching are usually Calvinists. Yes. Irritating ones at that. No, I'm kidding. kidding. No, no. Hey, I, I, I understand. I've done some, I've done some street corner preaching, but my, my usual words, huh? There's good and bad ways to do it. So I'm saying, yeah, I usually start by saying, I'm not like you're what you're used to. (laughs) Uh (laughs) I'm here because I love you and I want to share a message with you, but whatever. Uh, the, but, but I, I, you know, what have we seen as a result of those who think that salvation is purely up to the choice. We've seen manipulative tactics. We've seen the, the uh, mass mass uh, uh, crusade mentality where we want to get as many people as we can to raise hand, come forward and not expect any life change. 
one of the things that I'm thankful for in Calvinism is that when we, when we believe someone gets saved, we believe that their life has changed. Now I know that that's not to say the other side doesn't believe that. Of course. Yeah. But, but if, if you don't feel like you have to manipulate a, a yes out of someone, if you don't feel like you have to manipulate a heart change, it does make the, the understanding and process of how a person gets saved a little clearer rather Mm -hmm. than, well, he raised his hand when he was eight and he believed in Jesus. Therefore he's saved, even though he's living like the devil and doesn't matter. And and, and again, I I know that's a bad caricature. Everybody, everybody accidentally caricatures. Well, the, and part of the point of this is, is putting up T-ball questions for the other person so they can just crush them. So like I, I make a bad a knowingly bad summary of your position. You're like, here's why that's not the case. And you know, you get to yeah. correct them. So that's, that's kind of the point of what we're doing. Yeah. Um, I'll give you a, a point on that. Just the, on the, on the limited atonement piece, particular redemption, whatever phrasing we want to use for it. So we were just in Hebrews last night um, at the small group. This is a perfect rubber meets road instance. Yep. And so and we're in Hebrews three and in Hebrews three, you have this, this callback to the Exodus narrative where the writer of the Hebrews, which I'll put my cards on the table, I think it was probably Paul, but we don't have to, whatever. Um, uh, Good case for Luke as well. But in Hebrews chapter three, um, you have this warning not to harden your hearts, um, that God, you know, will will deal with you if you go astray, Uh, the dangers of unbelief, and it's the the common refrain of, of the writer of the Hebrews, here's a glorious truth about how Christ is better, Here's the danger if you don't accept this and you fall away. You know, that's sort of the pairing. But in ver- verse 16 through, through 19, uh, for, for who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led, indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry with for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose dead bodies fell in the wilderness? And, and who did he swear that they would not enter the rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see they were not able to enter because of unbelief. The amazing thing about this, I think, and again, I don't, we could spend an hour on this alone, but the amazing thing about this is that these are presented as people who had faith, that presumably during the Exodus narrative, they had been in their homes and presumably at Passover, even though it would have been just the firstborn, they were probably putting blood on their doorposts and, and they were walking through the, the Red Sea and we had the, the Prince of Egypt walls of water on either side, sure. you know. Yeah. They had seen God on top of the mountain and thunder, and they had seen the Ten Commandments and miracle bread and all that, and it wasn't enough. And, um, you know, uh, that's, a, that's a tough passage because I think what the writer's trying to say is if even that level of God's revelation can cause you to follow or can, can be insufficient to convince you, uh, take care because you need, to, you need to stay the course. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears throat> Hebrews, of course. So, sorry, so, so your position would be those people were never truly regenerated. They did all of those things. They did the, the uh, they painted the blood, maybe. I don't know. Again, it could be the firstborn was taken and then they just walked out anyway. But they painted the blood. They walked through the Red Sea. Um, they, 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 when Moses said, do this, and it says all the people said, we will do as is commanded, they make the covenant there in Exodus 19, and then they go through the wilderness and they are left there to die. It says because of their unbelief, would it be your position that they never truly believed and, and that God's God was not sufficient. I'll say God wasn't sufficiently working in their hearts to bring them all the way to the promised land. 
Um, I think that the the question of the regenerative nature of the of those in the wilderness is a difficult one. Um, mm-hmm. We know this. We know that at least one person had a regenerate heart and yet did not make it in the promised land. That's Moses. Yep. Agreed. Um, so to us, to, so to say that everyone who didn't make it into the promised land did so because they were unregenerate, I think, is being somewhat presumptuous. That's uh, right. Uh, and, and because Moses would be in that category. And uh, as with all the questions we're throwing around here, this is so I can hear your answer. This isn't like, ha, gotcha. No, 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 I, no, no. And, and when I say presumptuous, I didn't mean to assume that yeah, to yeah. Say you're being presumptuous. I say, this, I, I think that I think that it's a difficult question. We have a generation going in and a generation yep. coming out. The generation yep. going in dies as a whole, but yes. I don't, but I don't know that as a whole, the entire generation was unbelieving. I think the entire generation suffered for mm-hmm. the unbelieving, first the unbelieving spies and their response yeah. to the unbelieving yep. spies. You, know, the right. ten, the, you got Joshua and Caleb who are the only two who believed. And of course they make it into the promised land. They're the only ones of that generation who do. Right. And so it, I think that there's a, a larger narrative and we have to, we have to step back. I, I just had this question earlier in the week on the program. And Do we even believe this is 12 hours old for me. So I literally yeah. have not had time to, to fully think on it. Um, yeah. So this is, this is interesting. Yeah. Getting it raw as it were. So looking back at, at the question, I believe, I do believe regeneration is necessary for anyone to believe because I believe okay. regeneration precedes faith. Therefore, okay. anybody in the Old Testament would have been regenerate. I believe Noah was regenerate. I believe Enoch was regenerate. Um, you know, I, I think that this is an active work of God whereby a person is able to believe. Therefore, anyone in the wilderness who was uh, a believer was regenerate. Now, mm-hmm. the question, though, is can a person go through the actions of of belief without genuinely believing? And the mm-hmm. answer is yes. And the Hebrews yeah, tells that. us that. Hebrews 6, of course, a person can taste the heavenly gift, do all yep. these things. And yet I would say that falling away is a demonstration that they were not truly saved. So I do, okay. I, I do, I do take that position with Hebrews 6. We're just hitting all the titles of the tulip, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. We're now, we're now at the P. And, yeah, that's uh, right. <laughs> Uh, so definitely going to be a two-parter because we're going to separate okay. this into its own thing. But, but the uh, but getting to the 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 nuts and bolts of who in the who who in the who in the wilderness was saved, uh, I don't know. The the answer to that question is 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 I is I don't know. But I do know that if they were genuinely operating in faith, it was an act of God. At least I I would say that if they were genuinely operating, if they were genuinely operating in faith, it was, it was an act of God in their heart. And I do believe there are some people who painted their doorposts who may not have believed it, but their neighbor believed it. And they did because their neighbor was doing it and they benefited from their neighbor's faith in the same way that somebody sitting in the church benefits from the faith of the people around them, just like the Bible, you know, Hebrews six, you know, they're, they're tasting the heavenly gift. They're, they're fellowshipping with the saints. They're doing, they're benefiting from that fellowship, even though they themselves are not saved. Yep. So, so that would be my 50 well, cents. I'll have to come back and argue with you when we get to Hebrews six. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We do about a chapter a week. And so, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll have you back in three weeks. There we go. That's <laughs> right. yeah. Hebrews six. Yeah. No, I, I think, um, if you wanted to start wrapping things up a little bit, I, I think that this has been extremely valuable because I, um, in a sense, there is actually a little bit of a freedom about not having a rigidly defined position. Um, and I don't, some things I do. Um, and we talked a little bit about this in pre-show. One of the most valuable things that I've, uh, lessons I ever got was the difference between a definitional doctrine 
meaning deity of Christ, the resurrection, um, justification by faith, that if you don't believe that, then you're in a different religion. Um, then you go out a layer from that, and I would put some critical doctrines there as well, maybe some church organization governance things. Um, and then outside of that, it's, you know, music styles and all that kind of stuff that is really not all that relevant. I'm not, not all that relevant, but um, people who hold different beliefs on that will be around the throne at the end of all time. Um, and that's a, that's a good comforting thing. So anyway, what I was getting to is I think it's very valuable to be able to dialogue um, and to kick this stuff around without having to say, this is how it is. And if you don't believe, then you just don't understand your Bible. And so I appreciate you having me on to do that. And, and I appreciate people that are able to work in that space and to not feel, and if that's my encouragement to the listener is to not feel like you have everything figured out, but always be striving to be biblical. That's really the thing. Amen. Amen. And I'll, I'll, what you said just reminded me of something. I want to, I'll close with this years and years and years ago, I took a, um, a group of young people similar to you. I was, I was in so, around your age. I was kind of doing, well, how old are you? How you? 26. You're 26. Well, when I was a few years younger than you, I was working with youth and mm-hmm. I took uh, about 40 doctrines of scripture mm-hmm. and we had a list and everybody got the list. We were at youth camp and I said, uh-huh. here are these doctrines. I want us to list which ones we think are essential for yep. a person to go to heaven uh-huh. and which ones are not essential for a person to go to heaven. <laughs> that must have been fun. And it really was enlightening because mm-hmm. things like, of course, the deity of Christ and things like the uh, justification by faith, you know, we all sort of agreed. But when it started getting to the question of things like baptism, when it started yeah. getting to the question of things like, um, you know, I don't even know if we mentioned predestination at that point, but the, the, when we got down to it, there were so many, there were so, the, the, there were lesser things that were, that we all conceded were necessary. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the doctrine of predestination, I have some friends who would say, well, if you don't hold to the Calvinist view of predestination, you're not saved. I don't, I, I don't, been, I, I don't believe hurt. that. I've been hurt by people who have said that. And again, back to wrapping back around, I do not want to misrepresent and say, well, that's just all Calvinists. They all do that. No, they don't. You and I have talked for now an hour and a half and we haven't yeah. done that. Yeah. Absolutely. And as a, as a person who identifies myself as a Calvinist, I do sort of pigeonhole myself, but I, I sort of, I welcome the banter as uh-huh. you can, as you know, I, and, and I sort of, I paint a little, I paint a little target on myself so as to encourage conversation. If yeah. you know, going in, I say I'm a Calvinist, then you're going to hold me to account for all the things, the dumb things that Calvinists do, but, you, yeah. but for all the things that we say we believe. And, um, and I've sort of, you know, years ago, I was sort of afraid to use that moniker. I was a few, uh, afraid to say Calvinist. And now I've just said, you know what, I'm just going to steer into the embankment. I'm just going <laughs> to go off. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I've got, a, I do have a friend who is a, who I'm, I'm hundred percent confident is a five point Calvinist, but would never admit it. Um, because yeah. he has just become, he just finds it distasteful that you have a sort of, a sort of pridefulness among sure. that community, especially online. Um, especially in these YouTube debates um, where there's this fiery presentation and all that. And he's just like, you know what, when I say Calvinist, that's almost become a loaded term and I don't, I don't like it. Um, but I, in I my, at least have intellectual honesty to get beyond that and say, what does Keith mean when he says that? Cause that's very important to me. Yeah. And my hope is that I paint a nicer picture. Yeah, uh, for sure. uh, you know, a kinder, gentler Calvinist, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, somebody who's allowed to laugh and, and not take ourselves oh so seriously. Yes, for sure.
Well, Matthew, thank you so much for coming on the program today. And I, I hope to have you back soon and we'll, we'll chew on some more uh, very uh, serious things. This has been a great conversation. It, it really has, Keith, truly. And, and I actually sort of forgot we were even recording. I just felt like I was talking to a friend. So that's, that's the best kind. Absolutely. Absolutely. And listener, I want to, t again, thank you for listening. Uh, I want to remind you that this uh, podcast is uh, open for questions. So if you would like to ask a question to me, you can send me a question at calvinistpodcast at gmail.com. And if you do have a question for Matthew that you'd like for us to deal with on a future episode, you can send that in as well. I'll forward it to him and we will decide when we can get back together. So uh, yeah. Amen. Well, thank you, Matthew, again, for being with us. Thank you, listener, for being with us. And I want to remind you again that this has been Coffee with a Calvinist. I'm Keith Foskey, and I've been your Calvinist. May God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Coffee with a Calvinist. If you enjoyed the program, please take a moment to subscribe and provide us feedback. We love to receive your comments and questions and may even engage with them in a future episode. As you go about your day, remember this. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. All who come to Him in repentance and faith will find Him to be a perfect Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. May God be with you.